following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. So, St. Mark's Gospel, um, chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 21 through to 34. It can be found on page 1006 in the Church Bibles. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. The parable of the growing seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. The parable of the mustard seed. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you can remember how it felt to receive some good news. Perhaps it was something in the family, the safe delivery of a child or a grandchild. Maybe it was hearing of an exam success or one of your own, or a job offer, or maybe good news on the medical front. Or it might have been something in the worldwide news Do you remember the rescue of the 12 boys trapped in the Chilean cave uh, in 2018? Uh, Or those miners in Chile, over 10 years ago now, uh, brought to the service after being entombed underground for two months in 2010? That sense of sheer joy, of celebration, of thankfulness, even though we didn't know these folk, a lovely sense of jubilation as we heard the good news. And Mark's gospel tells us, as Jamie has told us, 
that right at the heart of our faith as Christians is the most amazing good news for ourselves, our families and friends and for our world. News to celebrate, news to be joyful about, news perhaps to dance to. So do feel free uh, during the sermon. In the very first verse, again as Jamie pointed out, of this gospel, we read of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just a few verses, a few verses further on, we read that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Wonderful, God-given good news, providing an overarching cover for the whole of Mark's gospel. It's very easy, isn't it, when you're looking at particular passages, to lose that overall sense of what Mark is on about, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you notice, but there's a word repentance included in there. Repent and believe the good news. And at first sight, it doesn't sit too heavily, too well rather, with the notion of good news. Seems a bit serious and heavy. Is it really necessary to include it? Yet it's in the reorientation of our lives, away from ourselves, our values, our priorities, our interests towards the God who loves us, that we really discover just how good the good news is that Jesus came to bring. It's through repentance, which simply means turning round, through that turning that we're introduced to a new way of living that puts Jesus Christ at the centre of our lives and of our world. It's good news that starts with the fundamentals. Now, those who heard Jesus talking that day about good news would no doubt have interpreted what he said in terms of their own particular uh, context and God's promises to redeem Israel. But as we'll see, Jesus' words also have a timeless and altogether greater significance. God is in the business of building a renewed world where the relationship between God and men and women and creation is fully restored, where love and peace and justice and kindness underpin everything. Now, we know only too well, don't we, how far short we fall and how far short our world falls of this. But there is a day coming when God's plans will be fulfilled uh, and come to fruition, when Christ will be, to use the words of Scripture, all in all. Tears, fears, death, sin, pain, unkindness, brutality will be history. And this is good news for us today, and it's good news for the future. Now, the phrase, the kingdom of God, which sounds a bit old-fashioned to modern ears, is used in the Bible to describe that renewed world. It lies at the heart of Jesus' mission. It's what he came to teach and to point to in both his life and his death. And it's this same kingdom of God that is woven into the passage we read this morning with the particular focus of verses 26 to 32 on how this kingdom grows. But Jesus first tells us that the kingdom is not meant to be a secret. 
verses 21 and 24. As we've seen, his whole mission was to make the kingdom known so that all, everyone, might join in. After all, Jesus says, you don't put a lamp in a place where it can't be seen. When I read these verses, I thought of the times I've traipsed through the miles of Ikea at Gateshead to get to the table lamp department. Well, imagine doing that, all all the sacrifice involved, and then bringing the lamp home and hiding it somewhere. The good news is not meant to be kept under wraps. Now, Jesus also implies in verse 25 and elsewhere that to many this light is often hidden, it's concealed. More often than not, those who heard Jesus speak didn't get what he was saying. His parables seemed to go over their heads. These passages raise questions about why many of Jesus' listeners didn't understand what he was saying. But I guess that Jesus was simply saying how it was, how it would be. The good news will always receive a mixed response. At the same time, I think there are two encouragements we can take from these verses. One is that the more receptive, the more attentive we are to the word, the more we will understand something of the ministry of Jesus. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So let's take more time to prepare our hearts for when we come to worship, for when we come to listen to God's word in whatever form, through whatever channel it comes. Let's be more expectant that God will speak to us. Let us have ears to hear. We do know that he longs to speak to us. He longs to communicate with us. So let's have ears to hear. And the second encouragement comes in verse 24. Let's work on things. Consider carefully what you hear, says Jesus. Weigh up my words. Think about what I'm saying. And the effect of taking things seriously is cumulative. The more priority we give to the life and words of Jesus, the more insight and blessing we will receive. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. Let's be more serious about our faith. And as a community, let's talk and share more than we do. So with that background in mind, I want to look at Jesus' description of the process, if you like, by which the kingdom grows. This is key stuff. If the kingdom is such good news for everyone, we surely need to know how it takes root and how it grows. Now I'm afraid at this point, my sermon becomes one of those classic three-pointers, but I'll try only to use the word finally once. The first is, the first point is that Jesus underlines the importance of sowing, not with a needle and thread, the other kind. Plants, trees, crops only grow if seed is sown. Obvious, really. Similarly, Jesus knew that without sowing, there would be no kingdom of God as God intended it. So that's what he did in all sorts of words, through words, through his actions, through his example. He was good at all three. 
And I think in all this, Jesus knew too the wastage that was involved in the sowing of his day. Some seeds just die, others show signs of germination and then don't survive, but others spring to life full of potential growth. And it was because of this last possibility that Jesus kept sowing indiscriminately, generously, and I think gently. Jesus, of course, was the master sower, but it's something which we can all engage in as his disciples. And for me personally, this passage highlights the importance of intentionality, looking out for opportunities to sow. It may be through something we say or something we do, through the kind of people we are, how we relate to others. There will always ultimately be words involved, I guess. But we can, bring, we can sow in all sorts of different ways. Think of where you'll be next week. Home, work, the shops, church, the leisure club, and so on. Maybe we be those who are constantly sowing the seed of the kingdom. Not because I'm required to do it. Not because uh, I need to grit my teeth to do it. But because I have wonderful good news to share with others. And as in Jesus' day, the response will be very mixed and often discouraging. But it's only through profligate sowing that the kingdom will ever grow. So let's keep sowing. We live in an age where the basic stories of the Bible and what the good news means are no longer known as well as they were. And that makes our role as sowers today even more important and challenging. So the importance of sowing... My second point. The second uh, is, is that the, uh, the, the, the process of growth is a mystery. The mystery of growth. After the sowing is finished, the sower's life and routine goes on as usual. Did you notice that? He sleeps, gets up, sleeps, gets up. And while that is happening, the seed sprouts. Mark tells us that in verse 27... The sower doesn't have a clue how this happens, yet it does. All by itself, the soil produces corn. Isn't that a lovely picture? Now, we have a a bird bath in the middle of our garden, and last autumn, I lifted the turf around around it and put in some daffodil uh, bulbs, replaced the turf, and got on with life. That was a major venture for me. Then in January, I noticed some shoots coming up through the, glass, uh, through the grass. And for me, their appearance represented a massive, massive gardening success. Yet please don't ask me uh, how it happened. I'm sure that botanists could say quite a lot about the science of germination and subsequent growth. But even they might struggle to explain the fundamental causes. Yet here is growth for all to see. Verse 28. Stalk, ear, full grain in the ear. And the sower doesn't know how it's done. Now I guess there are all sorts of insights that we might draw uh, from this mysterious process. But a key one, I think, is that we need to be reminded that it is God who grows the kingdom through his spirit. It is ultimately God who grows uh, the kingdom.
Yes, we may sow the seed, and yes, we can provide the right conditions for development, but the growth itself is God's work. Isn't that a relief? Isn't that great? It's not dependent on me, it's dependent on God. R.T. France has put it, there is an inner dynamic in the kingdom message, and maybe we need to be reminded of that. Let's be confident in the Spirit's life-giving work, maybe even a little more sleeping on our part, confident sleeping rather than lazy sleeping. I came into church last week and found the whole place transformed into the children's club that Kate and her colleagues had been running. It was a wonderful, wonderful picture. Enjoyable, fun, safe, joyful sewing. But now it's over to God. And who knows what impact over the coming decades that children's club will have. Let's hand, hand the whole thing over to God. So the importance of sowing, we have to sow. The mystery of growth, it's God's work. And finally, the scale of the results. There's the finally. From tiny seed to the, last of, uh, to the largest of all garden plants. Now, we needn't worry too much about what kind of mustard seed or plant Jesus had in mind here. The key point is that something very, very small has the potential to grow into something very, very large. I'm told that the black mustard seed, for example, has over 700 seeds to a gram, and the resultant growth of the plant would be three metres or more. This tiny mustard seed is, in fact, a very distinctive type of visual aids. Now, visual aids should normally be very clearly visible. The clue is in the word visual aid. Yet, although this one can't, can hardly be seen at all, you would have thought it was a very poor visual aid, but in fact, the paradox is that its invisibility is actually the point. It is so small, we, can't, we can hardly see it. And yet it's from that seed, says Jesus, that large plants grow. And I love the picture that Jesus paints of birds perching on the big branches that have grown. Now, the theologians have had a lot of debate about what these birds represent. But I'm happy just to think of the tree that has grown from the tiny seed as providing shelter, cover, a welcome, a place to rest. A picture, if you like, of God's welcoming love in his kingdom. Now, one big picture example of a tiny seed that has grown into something huge is, of course, Christianity itself. From the ministry of an itinerant preacher with a rag bag, small rag bag of followers in the Middle East to a worldwide community of Christians. 2.3 or so billion of us, making up 30% of the world's population. Not bad growth. But the mustard seed to large plant transformation is also there in the lives of individuals. Think of those who've received the word and acted on it and as a result have helped to grow the kingdom in a significant way through their witness and example. Just been reading the a biography of William Wilberforce, who came to Christ through his aunt and through his mother and through his college contacts, and had a transformative effect on uh, 
of course, on slavery. And maybe at a personal level, you can think of the changes that have come in your own life as a result of your seeking, imperfectly yes, but nevertheless seeking to follow Christ. The potential for kingdom growth is huge. So let's be encouraged in our witness to Jesus Christ, confident in God's ability to grow his kingdom. And let's never underestimate the potential of very, very, very small beginnings. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.